Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shining Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And of course, as usual, I have Rob Herschel with me. Good uh, morning, Rob. Stephen, hello. It's always good to connect. It's so good it's to connect. Friday. We're recording on a Friday, at least. So. Yeah, a Friday morning, which is pretty good. I didn't put it in the end of the day in the afternoon. And we have a guest that I think I've been trying to get this guest, Rob, for, for at least a year. We finally wrangled him around. I know he's so busy, but really excited to have uh, Shang Liang, who's the co-founder and CEO of Rancher Labs. Uh, Shang, welcome to the podcast. Hey, v- uh, very good to be here, Stephen and Rob. Shang, before we jump in with all the technical stuff and the 80 directions, if you can just give our uh, listeners maybe a one-minute kind of background of yourself, give people a feel for your experience, where you've worked, and then, um, and then from there we'll jump in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been uh, in this cloud container space for about 10 years. Uh, started a company called cloud.com, built an open source project and product called CloudStack. Started that about uh, 10 years ago. And later we joined the OpenStack initiative. And it was in that initiative, I, you know, I met I met Rob and, and had, you know, deeper interactions with Steve. Uh, so we've known each other for almost 10 years. And we started as some of my colleagues and I started Rancher Labs uh, just about four years ago when uh, Docker containers were becoming popular. So we, we really see containers as the next evolution of, uh, you know, of, of the cloud computing platform. And, and we've been having a great time since working with technologies like Docker and Kubernetes. Cheng, uh, you and I had the privilege of sitting next to each other completely by accident on a flight, I think back from DockerCon Barcelona. And yeah, I remember that. That was, that was, that was awesome. That was, that was so much fun. And so I want to, you know, I, I love that we're going to do forward-looking stuff and talk about edge and, and where things are going. But I think, you know, there, there's an element of history in, in just how deep you go. Because, right, you and I did talk at, when, at, in the cloud.com days pre-OpenStack, um, in OpenStack. At the time we were coming back from DockerCon, DockerCon was super hot. Rancher was, was you know, really a leading orchestration platform for Docker based on some of the Compose work they'd done, right? And then, then it all went to, to confusion, I think is the right word, with Swarm, them trying to do Swarm, things like that. What's your retrospective back on, on what's been going on from a container orchestration perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think the orchestration is a, orchestration is just like a hard demand. It's a, it's a, it's a fundamental requirement for, you know, for things like uh, containers and virtual machines. And, uh, you know, in the, in the virtual machine space, you have, you have products like, you know, like, like AWS, which is fundamentally a very large scale orchestration platform for, for virtual machines. And, uh, and then you have you have things like OpenStack and CloudStack and vSphere that also uh, uh, orchestrates virtual machines. So 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 I think very much of the same thing uh, uh, happened uh, over the last few years for containers and Docker when when it initially came to the industry really didn't include a piece of orchestration technology it primarily worked on a single node and for for a period of time there was a there was a sort of a vacuum uh, waiting to be filled. And uh, we were, you know, fortunate enough to be uh, playing in that area. And we, uh, we, we developed a lot of our own technologies in the early days. 
and we were to some degree able to at least influence uh, the direction the, the, the industry was going. And we participated in open source projects like Docker, like Kubernetes. And I think it's fair to say uh, these days, when it comes to container orchestration, uh, the whole industry uh, recognizes uh, Kubernetes as the standard. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a said that this kind of experience tend to play out uh, in our industry over and over again on, on different kind of technologies. Uh, doesn't mean, you know, Kubernetes is not going to evolve. Doesn't mean there might even be something else coming in the future. But most likely, though, when it comes to uh, container orchestration, I think Kubernetes is going to be the standard. In Rancher, you have deep experience in solving these problems. You've built some really interesting technology. You've had to pivot to embrace Kubernetes. Where do you see, and, and I mean, I, I want to hear the rancher perspective in this a bit, because you, you're, you're trying yeah. to differentiate on top of what feels like a commoditizing platform. So how do you navigate? You know, we're building on a commodity base. How, where, where is rancher adding value? Where do you see an ecosystem forming that can add value? I mean, this is this is really the the the, the core part of uh, you know of anyone. I mean, I think you're you know you're straight on to asking uh, uh, on the you're, you're exactly touching on the core of any business uh, who tries to make an impact in this industry is they gotta figure out how they can add value in the extremely you know large and confusing and fast changing. Uh, ecosystem of technology. So, so from uh, from day one, uh, when we started, uh, I think we, uh, we we were in a pretty interesting position. I mean, Rancher Rancher, you know, we started in 2014, which seemed like uh, a while ago. But but in the grand scheme of things, we didn't really get to invent some of the most fundamental uh, container technologies. You know, when we, when we got started, actually uh, Kubernetes has already been released in a, in a fairly primitive form. Uh, Docker has been, you know, pretty much the standard uh, for, for about a couple of years. So the, 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 the challenge back then, uh, and, it, and, it, it, and it's largely the same challenge right now, is most organizations are just really struggling with how to make use of these uh, very much cutting edge technologies. You know, if you're, a, if you're a Google or Facebook or Uber, you'd have a, a team of highly capable developers or DevOps engineers, you know, 10 people, 20 people try to put technology together. But we felt the time that we really needed, uh, the industry really needed a more turnkey solution. So that really was what Rancher is. There's two things that, that you said that I would highlight. One is we're only at the beginning. So people using Kubernetes for production, which is where the money is going to come from, is, is nascent. Uh, and that there is a need for a distro or some package. How do, you, how, do you, how do you think people are going to pay for Kubernetes? What's the commercial component? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, I think the money in Kubernetes itself uh, Kubernetes distro or even Kubernetes service itself is going to be quite minimal. And we, uh, you know, we built a reasonable business early on, but, but we always had this expectation this stuff will be commoditized very quickly. Uh, you know, you can see that because in the early, very early days, uh, uh, Google made the decision to, to basically uh, uh, give away uh, Kubernetes management plane for free. 
uh, and initially it was not entirely free, and 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 I think now it's 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 becoming largely free. So so if you're in a world where cloud providers are are only really charging for the underlying resources to run Kubernetes, then you know pretty much that means the just uh, managing and doing the software and managing Kubernetes clusters would be very difficult to monetize. So we've been we've been focusing on um, from day one. We really uh, from day one of us working on Kubernetes, we've really been focusing on uh, how we can add value in a world where Kubernetes become the in the industry standard infrastructure and how we can add value on top. And I think that opens up a lot of interesting possibilities. And that's really where the opportunity is going to be. Make, that makes sense, right? There's a storage and networking, right? The service mesh pieces, there's security components, there's UX and CIC. I mean, there's huge avenues around this platform that you can, you can show up and add value. Is, is there still a need just for a certified distro or are we, for Kubernetes, the distro is whatever is coming off of the open source CICD pipeline? I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think it'll be increasingly hard to justify uh, distros that don't come from a, either a, a cloud provider or, or a, some kind of a, uh, you know, infrastructure platform OS provider. You know, I mean, I think uh, one should assume if I'm, say, getting, uh, you know, getting VMware, uh, vSphere product, I, I would, I would hope, I would expect that that should come with a Kubernetes distro. If, if there isn't one now, I would hope that there will be one in the future. But I think that, that's oh, interesting. Okay. So you think it's just going to get bundled in? It's going to become the, and I, this is what I hope. <laughs> so confer, tell me if my hope is in vain or if I, if I should go. I, I think so. I think, the, I think the market forces are driving, driving people that way. I mean, we do a very good Kubernetes uh, distro business now, so it's not certainly not entirely but, on the way yet. But I think but you're bringing you're bringing a catalog in, right? I mean, what I remember from Ranchers Ranchers Cell is that there's a catalog of capabilities that you help people run on top of Kubernetes, and that is a monet, you know it's something that, that you can monetize. You can say, well, this is a thing that runs on you know we'll help you get Kubernetes running, but you're going to pay for certified supported distributions of the stack. And, and exactly, you know, I want to be. Yeah, I want, to, I want to clarify, you know, in our industry, sometimes technology like us, technologists like us do tend to get ahead of the market a little bit, you know. So, so when we talk about how things should be, uh, the reality is we're not quite there yet. So we, we actually still have a, uh, you know, a lot of our customers are still looking to rancher to actually help them uh, stand up Kubernetes. Uh, so we have, a, we have a distro called RKE that, that does very well in that regard. And what, what I'm saying is I don't expect, you know, the value of that component to grow for, uh, you know, in, in the future. Uh, and I think it'll probably always be going to be around, uh, but, uh, but it's going to be less and less important as, you know, as, as Kubernetes supporting in the underlying infrastructure becomes better and more widely uh, adopted. The, the, yeah, just so the area we, we do add value beyond, you know, the, in, the, the catalog of services. Uh, today, actually, things that are even more basic than that, you know, like now you have these Kubernetes cluster from coming from all over the place. Someone just need to make sure that the authentication is standardized because you, what you don't want is, say, if you work for an organization and you somehow decide, let's just say, because Google is so good at 
you know, running Kubernetes and you want you're an enterprise and you want your employees to use, uh, you know, Google's Kubernetes service. But you, what you don't really want is the employees use their own personal Google account to use that service, right? So you need sort of need a way to tie in Google Kubernetes service with your maybe with your enterprise Active Directory. So so Rancher does stuff around that. And then, and then when you have a lot of clusters, you know, you need to make sure you you have visibility to them, you manage them consistently. So so so, you, so and and you manage the cost. You make sure you got enough capacity. And 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 one area like I. I it's, it's actually kind of becoming increasingly important is that, uh, you know, we used to talk about uh, VM sprawls and, 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 and I think these things people have learned how to put them under control, but, you know, but, but nowadays you have, you have Kubernetes clusters that are typically a lot larger and it's, it's, it's hard to figure out who is, it kind of creates an extra level of indirection. So it's hard to figure out who's actually using what Kubernetes cluster. So there, 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 there are obviously areas that, 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 that we need. What you're describing is, is the place where in a lot of cases we start to add value added pieces on top of a platform, which is management, visibility, conformance, reporting, security controls. Those are, those are normal enterprise add-ons that, you pay money for because they're hard. <laughs> that strikes me as a, as a very logical thing that the faster Kubernetes goes, the more we'll need that. We sort of did the same thing with virtualization, except VMware just ate up the market. There was, you know, 10 years ago, there was this vibrant sort of secondary market of people adding security, all these management features on top of VMware. And there's a whole bunch of people adding security management features on top of Amazon and Google and Azure. Yeah, I, I, you're so right. I mean, that's exactly where a uh, 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 majority of ranchers' businesses are today. And that's, I think, it's going to sustain us and grow us for a while. And, and you're also exactly right that unlike initial stages of virtualization where VMware really owned uh, the whole market, I mean, this Kubernetes out of the box is just it is becoming an uh, industry standard for you know for infrastructure that's the way i look at it so naturally it is available from a lot of places before we jump into some some of the edgy edge stuff that i want to talk about your comment makes me want to jump backwards a little bit to the to docker it feels to me like docker was about to become the vmware of containers and our conversation so far has been about kubernetes which doesn't doesn't have that doesn't have the ability to lock people down. What happened? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a, I think Docker had a window of opportunity to, uh, to create a, uh, uh, you know, an orchestration platform or management platform or clustering platform on top. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and that, you know, that for, for a while, it looked like Docker Swarm uh, would have, meaningful market share, but increasingly nowadays it, it, it is becoming obvious that Kubernetes is going to be that layer. So Docker is still important. Uh, Docker is, a, is adopted in, uh, still adopted in more places than Kubernetes, as I, as I, I would believe, uh, not in ways that, 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 that honestly even conflict with each other because Docker is just, you know, using CI pipelines and, and dev and test sort of scenarios where you don't really need the scale and complexity of Kubernetes. So, so I, I, I think, uh, in, in fact, these days I see Docker and Kubernetes becoming increasingly more complementary. And that makes sense. To me, it's a pipeline. The footprint of Docker 
is a precursor for footprint of Kubernetes, because I agree with you. See, a, a Docker container in a CI pipeline makes perfect sense, but that Docker container is going to end up delivered to an orchestration platform. And so uh, it's the peanut butter and chocolate exactly. type, of, type of thing. Um, yeah, what I hear a lot is people say, you know, we develop on Docker, but deploy on Kubernetes. Wow, that's an interesting, that's a very interesting thing. And they, they really got the developer experience. They just nailed that out of the box. I don't feel like Kubernetes has quite nailed the, the developer experience. Maybe if you love CLIs or command lines, they've, they've nailed the operator experience. Yeah, I think some of the weight and complexity and some of the requirements around, uh, even just re sometimes just resource requirements around you know, running Kubernetes, uh, I think uh, definitely is a factor for, for a lot of people. So that's a good segue into Edge because resource requirements are, are one of the top of mind things when you talk about Edge and complexity. Where do you see, so, you know, give us a little bit of a, of a where, you know, how you see this progress, how you see Edge progressing. And I guess the obvious thing is how you see Kubernetes in it or how do you see containerized workloads? But let's, let's build that out a little bit. I don't really uh, see myself originally as someone who, knows a lot about edge or even particularly interested in it. But then, then what happened was in the last couple of years, uh, the interest for edge sort of naturally started to occur uh, uh, in, you know, with Docker and with Kubernetes. So I uh, so kind of just gave you an example about, about six months ago, one of the uh, rancher users, uh, the, the uh, Chick-fil-A, the um, fast food chain in the U S they, uh, they published a blog article and, and, and looked like what those guys were doing is they were using RKE, Rancher's uh, uh, Kubernetes distro, to basically set up a little Kubernetes cluster in every store. So I thought... Right. Man, that was based on a, a couple of nooks, right? They have like a little five, six nooks. Yeah, cluster. I thought that was pretty interesting. Then I really started to see more and more of that. There's a, there's a windmill manufacturer uh, called Gold Wing. I think they're like the third, is, I think they're on Hong Kong Stock Exchange or something. And they're, they're like the third, is, third largest uh, 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 windmill manufacturer in the world. And, and, and I'm actually giving a, a keynote uh, with them at the upcoming uh, 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 KubeCon in Shanghai. It's already announced. So, so it's, it's a really cool use case as well because they have, they have these... Uh, uh, they, they've installed like uh, 8,000 windmills worldwide, and uh, and 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 they're you know uh, and and usually you can see these windmills come in clusters, and they're actually kind of controlled on a cluster by cluster basis. So every cluster it it, it actually has a fairly significant amount of computing resource, and 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 they also uh, want to put you know containers and Kubernetes. Uh, at that cluster, but but I mean, if you think you really can't get any more edgy than than that location, because it could be you know in the mountains, it could be in uh, you know in, on the ocean, and uh, and it's, it's I thought it's a very interesting use case as well. So in in a case like that, you're looking at something where there's the the system has to be able to operate completely standalone. So here's what here's where I get I, I, I scratch my head about why put Kubernetes there, because it's only a couple of machines. They could just write the software and run the software. You're adding overhead from the Kubernetes infrastructure and some complexity. What value, right? Usually 
windmills would be like embedded control systems. Why turn it into yeah, this an is IT not, This is not windmill. Sorry, this is not a windmill itself. I mean, you wouldn't, obviously, you wouldn't put this in the windmill. This is okay. like a cluster. This is almost like, almost like a base station. You know, this is like a control uh, node for a cluster of windmills. So it could be 10 of them, 100 of them. You know? So, okay. so that, 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 that probably, it's just not in the central office. Basically, what happened is like, I take that, take that windmill case as, as an example. What, what, what they really had to do is, is, is interestingly, they had to do a lot of, uh, they had to do a lot of big data and uh, as they would call it even AI, because they, they had to uh, gather that, you know, weather forecast data and, and, and then they had to like output a prediction of uh, power uh, and, and adjust things accordingly and then report a bunch of stuff back to the central office. So there's, 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 there's quite a bit of a, a calculation going on and these things can't really be done on a single node. That, that I understand that. So, so, so what people are looking for in that scenario is, uh, is uh, when they're you know, running more than one node, so they basically need a cluster manager and, and, and secondly, they need to deploy and upgrade the workload somewhat dynamically. And, and, and so you, need, you just need a platform to do that. I don't think Kubernetes is the only platform. I, you know, I, I think there might be uh, other more uh, purpose-built platforms out there as well, but, 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 well, but the but, disability is very attractive. What you're describing makes, makes sense. And it actually lines up with other stories we've heard on the podcast, which is I need IT infrastructure at, at the edge. So in this case, the, the edge device is the windmill the edge IT infrastructure is, you know, a, a data, you know, a small data center, you know, almost a, a cabinet or a closet that is coordinating behaviors among a cluster of windmills. That makes perfect sense. Now you've got an IT problem where you're saying, I'm going to write software for my windmill. I'm going to be constantly updating it. I need to prune data because I can't, I'm not going to send all of the, the, the data I collect forward. You have some machine learning, which you're going to do to tune the windmills. So you need a machine learning infrastructure. Also, you don't want to embed that. This is a, this is, you've just described a, a really good, clear IT infrastructure at the edge use case. Yeah, I think so. I, and, but, you know, but maybe I was thinking maybe we can also get into some of the challenges because, uh, okay. because I mean, what you pointed out earlier, the overhead uh, and uh, overhead is an issue because it just takes too much resource to to run Kubernetes, so unfortunately it wouldn't wouldn't fit some of the more um, uh, you know we've we've seen some energy uh, uh, platform use cases where the, the just from a from a from a resource perspective it didn't make sense. So I think I think Kubernetes could have been more widely adopted as an edge platform if it if it consumed less resource. But but there's actually an even bigger problem. That, that we're struggling with right now. Um, uh, that, that problem is, um, uh, is the operations of Kubernetes uh, cluster itself. Yeah, I guess it's kind of obvious. You know, I think operations of, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's basically how do you make sure that the Kubernetes platform stay, stays healthy, uh, upgraded, because that problem is, not, is, is solved on the cloud. By, by the cloud providers, right? So, because everyone's offering Kubernetes as a service, so you don't you don't really need to, uh, you know, everyone right. knows. If you're, if you're using one of the commercial cloud vendors, use <laughs> unless you have a reason not to use their their Kubernetes install. Exactly. Yeah, and we 
we we encourage people to do that and and a lot of it has to do with you know running a running an scd database maintaining quorum and you know and backing that stuff up and recover things when you know when it somehow goes bad so so it just it, it's it's a it's a it's still viewed as a relatively complex and fragile piece of software unfortunately so that so that's been a a bit of a challenge and we're you know we're working we're, we're actually uh, internally we're, uh, we we haven't really uh, released a lot of that code yet because we're still working on it but but we're actually doing a lot of work to see if we can uh, you know dramatically simplify this and, and and really make make kubernetes technology more suitable for 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 this edge use case get the kubernetes stuff you're you're describing in this case though that that is not simple enough, right? We're talking about lights out, remote infrastructures, you know, there's nobody pushing buttons on site. There's, it's a truck roll to get to, you know, open the cabinet at the wind farm. And this, and, and we're using the way, I love this, this example is incredibly concrete, but it, it plays out over and over and over again, right? The fry cook, you know, isn't, isn't going to do your Kubernetes admin work in, in your Chick-fil-A's. Although with STEM education in high schools, that might be a, a really valid uh, approach. You need a you need a nights and weekends job. <laughs> if you have a STEM background, we're okay. Anyway, uh, that's funny. The idea here, though, is is what does it take to make Kubernetes hardened for the these use cases? And is is hardened the right word? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what what exactly. I think that's you know that's a good word, and uh, it, it, it it's it's it probably yeah make it. Uh, just make it number one more lightweight. Number two is just uh, make it uh, easier to, uh, to to kind of work standalone with with minimal. Uh, I mean, it's not easier to operate, but really like lights out operation that kind of stuff. And that's the environment. I mean, I think some of that will just come naturally with the maturity of the software, but. But some of it is also maybe a little bit more architectural. So, so we're, we're, we're still, you know, experimenting with a bunch of stuff. I mean, if you, if you think about it, in the early days of, say, Microsoft Windows, you know, people didn't really expect that stuff to work in a, in a lights out and, you know, embedded scenarios either. But now they're, you know, you, you, uh, like I think as of even 10, 20 years ago, Windows started to run on ATM machines, right? So, so yeah, so I, I, was, I was going to the, end, the, uh, the ATM example. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so I, I think I, I, I really think there's a, there's a very concrete market demand, which is, a, you know, which is a cluster of resources that, that needs to be managed and orchestrated and, and the workload needs to be somewhat dynamic. Unlike ATM machine, which probably gets updated very infrequently, I mean, these things needs to be updated relatively often. And, uh, and, and in fact, Goldwing, they pride themselves with the fact that they can now push out, you know, these updates more, more quickly than before. It was, it was sort of a measure of success that, that they, 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 they did this project. So, so I think, I mean, I think it's just gonna, a lot of this is going to come with time. The, the, the big opportunity for Kubernetes. That's why, I mean, that's why, I, you know, Rob, I, I went to a recent Kubernetes uh, conference and, and I, you know, I tell people, ask people, you know, what, what do you think is going to be big with Kubernetes this year? Because like any technology to stay vibrant, you, you got to keep coming up with the new stuff. I was surprised a lot of people were telling me things like, oh, you know, Kubernetes just need to stay boring. I mean, maybe they meant it the, a different way, but I thought, 
I thought no, like I thought you know they they, they figure it's something you don't really have to worry about and then they oh. just get better. I I thought there's so many areas it could improve. You know, like this will be a great example of of, of areas it could continue to develop. The the thing I hear people proposing, Kelsey Heidauer did some nice blog posts or tweets about the the extensibility of the control plane, right? That the goal is not to have Kubernetes itself keep growing or getting more complex, but to allow new applications that extend the APIs using the API extension mechanics to then expand what Kubernetes is capable of without making Kubernetes itself have required complexity. Explaining that well, yeah, I mean, yeah, perhaps. I, I guess I guess where I'm coming from is uh, when I look at a technology like Kubernetes, I don't think we're quite even ready to declare victory and say, you know, the platform is now established. Every, every piece of innovation now can happen on top as extensions. We'll provide this hook, that hook, you know, this controller, admission controller, whatever, and, 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 and we're done. You know, now we just... We just want to fix bugs and, and stay boring. And I, I don't quite see that. I, I, I think, I, I think uh, any successful platform have to re-platform once every, once every few years. Like, I mean, like Windows has gone through. I, I think the fundamental technology and concepts in Kubernetes is rock solid and the code base is very good. But, but, you know, but sometimes you see a use case that, that obviously pushes the, 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 the envelope of what the original design of, of this code base. Then I think I was, I'm actually thinking maybe more, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, heavy weight refactoring might not be out of the question. So that's the kind of stuff we're actually looking at. That's an interesting perspective because I can definitely see for people like Kubernetes is perfect. That's, it's not right. There's there's still networking challenges. There's still storage challenges. Yeah. Right. There's there's control. There's scheduling that could be improved. Machine the whole machine concept of machine learning. We did a um, conversation with Rob from um, NavOps where they you know they were talking about the scheduling they do and how machine learning. That's a really good podcast by the way. Machine learning and uh, big data and containerization sort of converging as a, as a thing. So all those, are, all those are fertile areas for Kubernetes to keep innovating, adding, fix, fixing things out. And that, that's, your, that's your premise. I'm sort of jumping on your premise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, 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 an indication of a healthy, uh, powerful platform is the fact that it continues to evolve, right? Like look at Linux kernel. You know, it's just... Right continues to evolve at a very, very rapid uh, pace at the innermost level, you know? So I think that's, I think that, I hope that continues to happen for Kubernetes. So I want to drill in on one specific area on that because it, it feels like, you know, on edge, but in general, it feels like a leading thing, which is the machine learning pieces. Do you have a take on machine learning applications inside of Kubernetes and containers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now, I, w I would say, um, at least in, in my world, machine learning is largely treated as a, as a workload like any other workload, you know, beyond passing, making sure to pass certain resources through properly, like GPU resources, mm -hmm. like that through properly. There, there really haven't been uh, much, uh, uh, you know, of course, there's Kubeflow deployment of uh, of 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 uh, machine learning frameworks, or you know, the Spark 2.3 integration with Kubernetes. Those are all very good. But uh, right now, I would say uh, things like machine learning uh, tend to be viewed by us as as more of a workload that happens at the 
at a different level. I personally have not found uh, a real in-depth um, uh, association between, uh, like, like machine learning hasn't, you know, hasn't generated the kind of uh, uh, need to change Kubernetes to the degree that edge computing use case we just talked about. Interesting. So you think there, there's, there's some harmony there where machine learning use cases, Kubernetes can sort of lay on top. Edge is, edge is going to cause more rethinking from that perspective. I, I think so. That's just my, you know, our, our, ex, our own experience working. Uh, there, there are definitely uh, people running, uh, uh, running the, you know, AI stacks and, and Spark and big data stacks doing BI machine learning uh, on, on Kubernetes uh, increasingly more, you know, uh, uh, more widely adopted, but, but it's just not, it, it hasn't, have, have, uh, you know, Kubernetes seems to be doing that job very well. When you, when you describe that, we think about Edge, I'm interested in your take on Kubernetes on Metal. So no virtualization. Do we need, do we need, <laughs> your cloud.com days, do we still need virtualization in these, in these mix, in the mix with Kubernetes now? I, I'd say you don't. You know, you don't really need it. Uh, in the data center, I would say an argument could be made why you might as well run on virtualization because it's already there and there's not much mm -hmm. overhead and it gives you a little bit more flexibility so you can create a lot of small clusters as opposed to, you know, you have to make sure that one big cluster always stays up. So, so I see people do that, but, but on the edge, it, it really has very little uh, uh, benefit for, uh, for, you know, for virtualization. So I, 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 I definitely see uh, in, in, the, in, in the cloud, uh, in the data center, I think virtualization is still the norm, whereas in the edge, I think bare metal is clearly the norm. Yeah, at, at some point to me, um, right, and I, I come at this from the rack end, very bare metal perspective, of course, but once you're doing all the work you're describing in containers and containerized workloads and applications, the VMs aren't adding a lot of value, and for Edge, they're actually adding complexity. So, trying to trying to say, here's a here's a here's a small cluster with nooks. First, virtualize, and then create what single machine VMs, and then put containers in them doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's um, right. That's right. But we have to fix. We have to improve manageability of of the metal. We have to improve manageability of the cluster, which is where you've been, which is where you've been going for that. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of, that's another area where I think Kubernetes, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to, uh, you know, to actually start to build some of those hooks or, or at least the experience straight into Kubernetes. I, I, mm. think, I think there's a, you know, we, we, we have a lot of ideas there as well. Here's what I love about the Edge story. If, I, if, if we can create a Kubernetes experience that is simple enough to run for Edge, then it, it changes the economics even on regular data centers because now you're like, well, if, if you solve all these operational challenges and upgrade challenges and management, then I, my life just got easier. My ROI for that piece of metal I bought uh, got, just got better. Yeah, I mean, let me, let me just give you an example. This, this, this thing is actually not nearly as, as even significant as some of the other things we talked about over there, but you can, 
you already see the some of the subtle differences between edge and and data centers. So uh, so you know that the, the the way Kubernetes is deployed, you'd uh, you'd create some nodes called master nodes, and you create some nodes called worker nodes, right? And and in and 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 if you deploy it in the cloud, like you use GKE. Then you, the master nodes you don't even see. So Google is kind of somehow running it somewhere, and, and you don't even pay for them, which is fantastic. And you get these like pure play uh, worker nodes that that you pay. So. Uh, and, and even if you're setting up Kubernetes cluster yourself, you'll probably have some dedicated nodes for master nodes. But, but on the edge, in all of our edge use cases, it's never done that way. Uh, uh, the, the, the edge use cases we, I've seen, uh, people really much prefer like a Newtonix kind of, kind of deployment where, where every node plays every role. So, so, and that has some interesting very interesting consequences as well. So, so it's, it's just 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 one example that 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 again, you know, things things are different. All this makes me think, right? One of the things Rancher has been known for is Rancher OS, which is this very lightweight operating system distribution for running containers, like CoreOS. Although CoreOS went 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 its own <laughs> went over to the Red Hat. Can you give an update on that? And is that still you you feel like that's still as important a component of the rancher story? Uh, I I think I mean I think Ranch OS the way we position Ranch OS is it's always a um, uh, you know it is technically uh, a part of the whole stack but uh, it is always a separate piece from you know from 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 Rancher uh, you know we uh, uh, for very pragmatic reasons we we didn't want to say you need a, a Rancher OS to, to be able to run Kubernetes or we would only support our, you know, Kubernetes or our, uh, our management platform on Rancher OS because uh, most, most, most uh, uh, customers, you know, are actually running Rancher on, on, on Red Hat Enterprise Linux in the enterprise or Ubuntu Linux in the cloud. So, uh, uh, so, 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 so that, that really hasn't changed. But, then, but, but the nice thing about Ranch OS is it, it really gave us a way to, uh, to paint a vision about what an ultimate platform could look like, you know, when you, when you really have everything under your control. So, so interestingly, you know, Ranch OS does tend to be more popular in these, uh, in these embedded scenarios, in these edge scenarios where we do have more control and we can, we can better handle upgrade uh, end to end. And, and it's a, uh, uh, and it, it, OS is also more popular in, 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 in some more hyperscale, large scale kind of deployments in the data center where, where people have, have more control. So, so we, yeah, we continue to invest in, in Rancher OS. It's, it's actually available as a, as a supported OS on DigitalOcean nowadays. So, 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 so that has really uh, stimulated the growth of, uh, of Rancher OS. Uh, but, but it is not, it's going to remain as a separate, uh, uh, you know, separate product from, from, from the management platform. That's, that makes a lot of sense. It, it's always good to get an update. I think Rancher did, you know, and and Cheng, you, you you should get a lot of credit for being at the edge, front edge on all these all these pieces. Um, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> because because right, Rancher, what you're saying with Rancher OS is the immutability statement on treating treating operating systems and operating system instances as disposable. I guess I mean that comes back to the very name of the company. This idea to me is is a critical one 
for how people think about running data centers and, and reprovisioning and CICD pipelines and all the way down to, you know, the, the OS that's deployed, the, the running instance is a disposable entity. Yeah, I want, I want to, you know, I want to bring up uh, 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 just another point before, before this thing is over, because we've talked a lot about ease of manage, you know, scalability, performance. I mean, we, we, we like to talk about things like that. But to be honest, these days, uh, uh, when we engage with our customers, both the enterprise customers and the embedded customers, there was actually one thing that's now trumping all of that, and that is security. Uh, and it wasn't like this even even a few years ago. Uh, the 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 and and the reason is simple, right? I mean, if you if you if you think about just just think about the the actual impact uh, uh, to to you know to a to a customer uh, uh, to to a, to to a company uh, if they have an outage. You know, if you have a say an hour long outage, you have a day long outage. I mean, it's very bad. But uh, but the company doesn't go out of business, you know, and and I don't know if if necessarily a lot of people will be even be fired. So uh, if, if if the outages say caused by some legitimate reasons, but imagine just just imagine what happens when there's a security compromise and the customer data is lost. So this is this thing is now uh, completely been brought to a whole different level. Actually, even when. I was always quite impressed in the early days, you know, when I, back then, when I talked to, uh, uh, you know, Solomon or Alex Povey at, uh, at CoreOS, I mean, these guys were so passionate about security and a big reason they were uh, doing things was really for security, you know, make things simpler. And, 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 and I think I learned a lot from those guys and, and it was a lot of it is actually got into the design of Rancher and the uh, and Rancher OS as well, and 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 I think we're seeing. I think I think many of these uh, uh, these you know tech, technology pioneers were probably a little bit ahead of their time, but but uh, uh, but I, I really see this is you you're gonna see you know probably a lot more talk about this you know both in the edge case and Kubernetes and data center you know with Rancher Rancher OS uh, down the road. I, I really see it's a uh, it, it's gonna be it's just gonna be more and more important. I, I hope so, because the solution to security in a lot of cases is immutability, automation, right? Continuously being able to refresh and renew. And that has so many benefits all over the, the data center stack. It's, it's sad to me that we still are fighting uh, on the security side. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I think security really could be done a lot better. And I think for the longest time, uh, security became... You know, a lot of people treat uh, treat those things as a checkbox, and not enough people really want to worry about it. So, in in that case, it's uh, in that kind of environment, it's harder for really good technologies to to bubble up, right, and and gain adoption. I think that what what changed in the last few years is now people actually care about security. Like they 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 care about availability, they care about performance. You know, then your 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 your, your I mean, your CS play a very big uh, focus uh, in this area, and and I think Rancher and Rancher OS will will play an increasing uh, important role. So, Shay, this is Steve Spencer. As I said before, I pop in near the end of the podcast to stop Rob for more questions, and uh, before you know it, it'll happen. So we're here. Damn you, um, Stephen! You've done it again. <laughs> I've done it again. But I do have, Shay. I do have one quick question for you before we wrap up. Um, 
as we are coming to the end of the year, uh, Rob and I are, are going to get to jump on everyone talking about next year. So do you have any th- thoughts or trends you think are coming next year that our listeners should uh, start to look at? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I think uh, uh, last year, I see like last year and this year has really been the, uh, uh, the mass uh, adoption of Kubernetes, you know, Kubernetes everywhere. That's kind of how we look at it. And it's largely played out. You know, I think DigitalOcean is probably going to be the last big uh, cloud provider that, that has uh, really good uh, Kubernetes support. Uh, then uh, uh, moving forward though, uh, uh, starting from next year, I think one thing you will see is, is, is actually continuing adoption of Kubernetes uh, amongst the, the user base. I, I think that is absolutely still in the early stages. So, so that is an, that is, an area where we're, you know, we're very much uh, 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 paying attention to and, 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 and driving. And, and it, it, it has really accelerated. It's been a, it's been a virtual cycle that, that as, you know, as these cloud providers and, you know, and, and infrastructure providers like, like VMware and Nutanix, they're, they're making um, uh, Kubernetes so much easier to, to stand up and operate than, than people just, just, just don't see uh, any more reason not to use it. So, so these days, I probably uh, really spend a lot more time uh, just, just you know, thinking about where the next big use case of of Kubernetes is going to be, and try to highlight that as 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 as, as, as big as possible. The 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 uh, uh, and most of that does happen in the. Uh, most of that happens in the, uh, in, in, the, in the you know enterprise data center space, and and I think you're going to see that uh, throughout next year. Uh, of course, uh, edge is very interesting uh, as we have been talking about. So so I'm also going to uh, we should also be paying attention to that. So I would say 2019, you know, mass adoption of actual adoption of Kubernetes amongst app developers and 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 the edge. That's that's how I would put it. Well, Shang, if anyone uh, is listening and wants to get a hold of you or your company, where should uh, they go to? Yeah, it's uh, uh, rancher.com. That's our website. And I'm Shen at rancher.com. So please uh, feel free to email me if you, if you ever wanted to talk more. Great. Well, Shane, thank you so much for having you on. And it was great conversation. Definitely worth me continuing to stay on your busy schedule. And uh, we'll get this released before the event in China. So um, hopefully, we'll use this as a way to um, we'll use this as a way to make people aware of your talk there, and hopefully drive more people to listen uh, to what you have to say. Uh, thanks again for joining, and look forward to talking with you again soon. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for the conversation. Great conversation.